Good morning, Valley Bible Church. Good to see you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. Little instruction as uh, so I, I'm in the boot. Um, I had surgery a couple weeks ago, doing great. But the only reason I mention that is so that you'll understand why I'm kind of sitting down the whole time. But also that there are a couple things related to the message from um, having been through a short ordeal, being on crutches, no fun. But it's related to the message because we are going to talk about um, loving each other based upon our love of Christ and how we are to serve one another based upon our love for Christ. And my wife has done that. Um, I, I know it's just two weeks on crutches. I, I underestimated how hard it would be. Um, you can't just get up and go get a cup of coffee, for instance, which I love to do. And so many things uh, just uh, hampered my mobility. And hats off to those of you who are immobile for long periods of time or are today or you are caregivers. But my wife, I just have to say, um, I just love her. And she demonstrated her love of Christ, I know, by taking care of me. I was impatient. She was gracious. And um, I'm just grateful for her. Um, the other thing is last night we had our um, lighting the path. If you were not here, I'm just going to rub it in. You missed it. Um, you don't want to miss it next year. A fantastic um, uh, event. But it took place in such an excellent fashion because we have so many wonderful people. You, you, if you, you, don't have no, you have no idea what a fantastic staff we have and volunteers um, from women's ministries and men's ministries, paid staff, volunteers. Just I, I, can't, I wish I could go through and tell you everyone who served last night, they served you and they serve you continually because they love the Lord. And that's their motivation. They love God and so they serve you every week. And I want you to know that you have, um, we have people in this, this church that love the Lord and uh, they demonstrate that by service to the body of Christ. And that's basically all we're going to say this morning. You could pretty much say amen and, and go home. But that's what the, our passage is about today. So I want you to turn with me to John chapter 21. And if you would stand, please, we're going to read verses 15 through 17. John 21, verses 15 through 17, uh, the word of God, a familiar passage. But read with me, please. 21, verse 15. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him again, a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. God's people said, please be seated. Father, we're grateful for your word. Um, it instructs us, even in its simplicity, it strikes a chord in our hearts, and we pray that you would do that this morning, that we would be on board with um, the theme of today of love and loving you first and foremost above all things, and what that means, how it's demonstrated in our lives. And so we pray, Father, that you would allow us this morning to be drawn in by the power of your spirit and the teaching of your word that was inscripturated so many uh, years ago, but meant for this day in December for this church in 2021, that we would learn and grow and love you more. And for that purpose, we pray your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Our weeks of Advent have been based upon verses of Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and uh, the theme this week is love. We've lit the love candle. And here is the verse that uh, this passage and this week is, is uh, 
based upon, not the passage, but the passages. Anyway, uh, the verse from Hark the Herald Angels Sing is this. Adam's likeless Lord of face, stamp thine image in his place. We are created in, in the likeness of Adam. We are all sons of Adam. And we have that image stamped upon us as sinners, dead in our trespasses and sins. But the song says, Lord, would you do away with that? Would you efface that? And would you stamp your image, your divine image of your son in its place? Second Adam from above, that is Jesus Christ, who came to fulfill what and, and repair what the first Adam had done. Reinstate us in thy love. And that's our passage this morning, or that's our, our, our theme this morning. Lord, reinstate us in, in your love, because that's what the Lord does with Peter. He reinstates him in the love that he has for his Savior and the Savior has for him. Let us, thee, thou lost, regain thee the life, the inner man, O to all thyself impart, formed in each believing heart. That God would form in our believing hearts that which was lost at the fall, which is our standing, his love for us, our forgiveness, all that he designed. It is all reestablished and reinstated in the love of Christ and all that he has done for us. Now, there's an old saying, and I think I probably mentioned it before, and it is this. The subject of God's love for us is a much safer subject than our love for him. It's easy to talk about his love for us. We're on safe ground because we know what the scripture says. And yes, he loves us. But what about our love for him? That can get a little embarrassing, perhaps, or uncomfortable. So it was for Peter. If you were listening as we read the scriptures and we'll go through it, this is an uncomfortable moment for him. It's easy for us to say to the Lord, I love you, and to sing the songs about love. But do we mean it? What is the demonstration of our love? If he were here and he were to say to you, looked at you right in your face and called you by name and said, do you love me more than all these people? Would you feel put on the spot? And you would probably say, well, yeah, Lord, you know I love you. And you'd think, phew, that was, that was close. But then he turns back and he looks at you again right in the face. He calls you by name and he says, do you love me? Yes, I do. You know that I do. Whew, glad that's over with, right? And then a third time he looks right in your eyes And he calls you by name once again, and he says, do you love me? What would be your response? For Peter was, Lord, you know everything. You know my heart. You know everything about me. You know that I love you, but it would be a very, very uncomfortable moment. This this is a a well-known story. It's only three verses. But the asking of the three times, do you love me, is, is uh, very poignant and powerful. There are three charges. There are three commandments, if you will. Take care of my sheep, take care of my sheep, take care of my sheep. He says it in three different ways, but it, the, the point is, is taking, taken well. Take care of his sheep. And this is thought of as the restoration of Peter from his denials of Christ. And certainly you see the... The, the, um, the, the comparisons, we have the charcoal fire. Jesus asks him three times. Obviously, for Peter, this recalls that the, the, the three times that he denied the Lord, and now he's given the opportunity to ask, he's asked three times, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? It's painful, it's embarrassing, it's uncomfortable. But he's commissioned, he's reinstated. And Jesus demonstrates his confidence in Peter of his choice of him, even though Peter may have been wondering. But Jesus says, no, I got it right. And I'm commissioning you to take care of my sheep and shepherd them. So all we are saying this morning is this, and all we're going to see is, love the Lord completely and show it by serving his people. That's pretty much it. If you love Jesus, the motivation of 
of serving his people will be your love for him. If you, if you have a complete and a full and a fervent love of the Lord, <clears throat> excuse me, that will be your motivation for serving his people. That's what he says to Peter. And even though he's talking to Peter, who will be an apostle and he will be an elder and a shepherd, and there is direct application to shepherds today and pastors, there is still the same principle applies to every believer that if we love the Lord, we will serve one another. So let's get right into it in verse 15. Love your Lord completely. Love your Lord completely with all that you have. Love him exclusively above all others. Verse 15. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Notice how John refers to Peter as Peter. But when Jesus talks to Peter, he calls him Simon, son of John. Of course, the setting here is Jesus and the these seven disciples have just finished breakfast. He was on the shore. They saw him uh, from the shore while they're out fishing. And he calls to them, throw your net on one side and you're going to have a great catch. John recognizes him and says, it's the Lord. And Peter puts on his clothes and jumps in the water and swims to shore. We don't know what happened at that moment. Did they embrace? Did they exchange words? Because he would have been the first one to shore. Certainly he demonstrated some exuberance, did he not? And a desire to be in the presence of the Lord by jumping and swimming to shore. By the way, there's also some indication from Luke 24 and 1 Corinthians 15 that in one of the resurrection appearances, there may have been a personal meeting with Jesus and Peter. Uh, we don't know for certain, but you have to wonder what uh, transpired there. If Peter said, yeah, about the other night, sorry about that. Maybe, I, we don't know, it's, it's speculation, but perhaps there was. But here's the setting. There, they, yeah, Jesus had cooked them this wonderful breakfast. I still wonder whether this was a Sunday morning, another Lord's Day. It doesn't say so, but anyway. Charcoal fire. Disciples are around, it appears. Later on, we're going to see that they're walking away. Next week, we'll see that. But Jesus addresses Peter as Simon, son of John. This is the name that he had before he was called Peter. Um, remember the, the first time that Jesus met Simon, son of John, and the reader may recall this, as Peter probably recalled this, when, when Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, he may have remembered the very first time that he met Jesus, as outlined in chapter 1. Some of the disciples were following John the Baptist, and there were two disciples that decided to follow Jesus, and they were Andrew and John. And chapter 1, verse 40 says, One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found first his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is Messiah, which is translated the Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which translated means Peter, Petros. The rock. The very first time he, he met him, he knew him. He knew his name, and he also renamed him. What kind of authority is that to take someone, and you're, you're going to be called something else in the future? Peter didn't argue. Peter was going to, to, to be the, the rock, one of the foundations of the church. Um, he has not yet become the rock. He has instead become a man with uh, feet of clay. He's been unstable. He's been fickle. He's been undependable. And he knows it when Jesus asks him and doesn't call him Peter, but calls him Simon, son of John. Remember, Peter had rebuked Jesus in Mark 16. Jesus had to say, get behind me, Satan. Peter had fallen asleep in the garden when he was supposed to be praying. Peter attacked Malchus with a sword. Peter denied Jesus three time, times, and, and this is the, the, the rock. 
this is the one who's going to be the 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 stability of the church to come in in on the day of Pentecost. Surely only Jesus can tame an unruly nature like his and like ours. So Peter has unfortunately refer, reverted to what he was before he knew Jesus. He has been called Simon Peter throughout the book, but now Jesus reminds him. I met you as Simon, son of John. His name would emphasize the, his future standing, his new calling, his new identity. He would be a major force in the church to come. But right now, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Do you love me more than these, he said. And he's obviously talking about the other disciples around the fire. Why would he say that? Because Peter claimed that he loved them, loved Jesus more than them. He claimed that he did. In fact, uh, in um, no, we'll get to that in a minute. But he loved. Do you love me more than these? And, and I think to understand where this is all heading, we have to kind of look at the, the the idea of love from the book of John. And John uses two different kinds of words words for love. He uses agape, which is that that covenantal love. That's the love of choice. It's the love that is lasting. It is a love that, that drives the, our, our lives. God so loved the world with agape love that he gave. It's a love of action and sacrifice in spite of how we feel. But he also uses the, the word phileo throughout the, John's gospel, which is the, the love of, of family, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. It's a love of fond affection and familial love. Sometimes they're used almost interchangeably. But mainly the word agape is used in John's gospel. John 3.16 is the first time. You know, the men loved darkness rather than light, and that's the word agape even there. The father loves the son. The son loves the father. The Jews did not have the love of God in themselves. Six verses in chapters 13 through 14 that deal with how he loved us and he gave us a new commandment. We are to keep his commandments and to keep his word as a demonstration that we love him. His love of the Father is his obedience to his commands. And the greatest love of all, of course, Jesus said, is laying down your life for your friends. On the whole, we see love in John's gospel, the emphasis being that the genuine love comes from the Father and is evidence of genuine sonship. We are genuinely sons of God because he loved us and his love is in us. And that love is demonstrated by keeping his commandments and by keeping his word. That's pretty much what John's gospel teaches us about love. So in chapter 15, verse 12, should be familiar to us. Jesus said to his disciples in the upper room, this is my commandment that you love one another, a command. Obviously, this is something you can do. You can choose to do it. This is agape love. Just as I have loved you, greater love has no one than this, that one laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. And Jesus is going to lay down his life for his friends. What greater love is that than to make that choice to die that others might live? That's the gospel message of love. Peter's boast, however, in Matthew 26 was this. Even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. So when Jesus says to, to, to John, do you love me more than these? You said you did. Remember? You said you love me more than all these guys, right? What an uncomfortable moment that must have been. The other disciples there, how uh, then awkward. Because he did. He had said it, right? I love you more than these other guys right here. They might fall away, but I won't. Hmm. They all, most of them fell away. Most of them ran away. Just a few were there at the crucifixion. But there was only one who made this boast. And there is only one who said he would never deny him, and there was only one who denied him three times. Peter, do you love me more than these? Gulp. 
embarrassing, painful. He said in chapter 13, by this all men will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you? Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. Peter, do you love me more than these other disciples here? Peter's response is, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Notice he didn't say, yes, Lord, I love you more than these. He dropped that. (laughs) He wasn't going to go there. But he did respond, yes, I do love you. And he does. See, Peter has this opportunity. He doesn't know it yet. He probably thinks he's done. That was close. But he's going to have an opportunity to replace the three public denials with three public affirmations of love. And it is the repetition of these three that make the point because he denied him three times and now he will say three times that he loves him. But Jesus then says to him after he says, yes, I love you, Lord, tend my lambs. That's where we're going with this, right? Tend my lambs, take care of my sheep, shepherd my sheep. This is going to be repeated three times. It's a command. It's an imperative. Demonstrate your love of Jesus by taking care of his people. That's for all of us. Demonstrate your love of Jesus. If you love him, help one another. Love one another. Take care of one another. Serve one another. Like last night, all the people serving one another. So a couple of lessons. First one I think is pretty obvious. Beware of comparing yourself to others. That could get you in a little trouble, couldn't it? When you say, well, I love, my, I love you, Lord, more than other people do. Really, do you? Do you know that? How would you know that? You don't know that. And whenever we compare ourselves with, with other, other people, we're doing two things. Number one, we're elevating ourselves, aren't we? It's always to our good, right? Usually is, or even if it's to the other way, it's because we, we're more humble or something. I don't know. But it's always pretty much self-focused. There is only one to whom we should com- compare ourselves, and who is that? It is the Lord our God who is perfect and holy and righteous. And whenever we compare ourselves to that holy standard, we fall on our knees and we say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Don't compare yourself to others. Peter did, and it came back to him at the end. We can't do that. In our pride, in our boasting, in our comparisons, what will happen? We will be brought up short, just as Peter was. He was brought up short. So we need to be careful of our love that we, we, uh, sometimes, like I said, it's easy to say we love Jesus, but we need to be sure about it. It can't be bravado, bragging about how much we love Jesus, and it can't be some syrupy sentimentality that, oh, I love him so much. It has to be a true, deep-seated commitment and affection of our heart. Everything in us that results always in committed action and is never just self-contained in our words or our feelings. That's why Jesus said, okay, you love me? Show it. Show it by taking care of my people. Second lesson is this. Our Lord graciously is the one who initiates that reconciliation. He is the one who initiates the, the, the reinstatement of our love. He is the one who initiates forgiveness when we fail. When, not if. When we fail, because we do. And when we fail, God is a God who restores his children, brothers and sisters. That's what he does. He restores us. He restores you. He doesn't discard you when you fail. And you may may have failed this morning. 
You may have failed this week. You may be in a dark slog of months or weeks of failure, and you don't know your way out, and all you know is you need help. He doesn't discard you if you are his child. And he stands at the ready to forgive you and to restore you and to reinstate you in his love. He desires to do that. He always lives to make intercession for us. The blood of Christ always and continually cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And he's always ready and willing with open arms to welcome back any of us who fail when we do. And he restores us to fellowship regardless of how we have failed. Incidentally, those whom he has restored, we should welcome to fellowship as well. But for every one of us, we, we don't always meet our calling. We're not always Peter. We're not always the rock, are we? We don't, we don't always live up to our name or the expectations of our new identity. I'm a son of God. I'm a child of God. I'm forgiven. I'm a saint. Oftentimes, those, those things are true. We oftentimes revert to our previous identity, and Peter did. He went back to being Simon, son of John. And we do too. But he initiates that restoration, and that's something that we can glory in this morning, and we can, we can give him thanks for that he is a God who does that and does not discard us. In verse 16 now, we see this. And the same thing is repeated. He said to him again, a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him again, shepherd my sheep in different ways. He uses different words for love, and we're going to come back to that in a little bit here. But he says the same thing in a different way. Tend my lambs, take care of my sheep, shepherd my sheep, serve my people. And this second question shows that there's this repetition that's happening. Peter probably, again, thought, well, I'm glad that was over with. He asked me if, if I loved him. But he asked him again, Simon, son of John, do you love me? This time he, does, he drops the comparison he doesn't say, do you love me more than the other disciples? He just says, in a personal way, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep. Feed them, take care of them, protect them, guide them, serve them. This reminds us, Peter once he becomes the rock on the day of Pentecost, and he's filled with the Spirit, and he preaches. He becomes not only a fisherman, but he becomes a shepherd, doesn't he? He's, a, he's a, a fisher of souls, but he also becomes a shepherd of souls on the day of Pentecost. In 1 Peter 5, he's writing to a group of churches, and he says this in chapter 5, verse 1. Certainly he's thinking of this instance of Jesus talking to him and giving him this commission because he says this, Therefore... I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God. It's the same command that he's given in, in John 21. Take care of God's people. Tend my lambs. Feed them, lead them, protect them, guide them. Obviously, he's talking about church leaders at this point. Those of our pastors and our shepherds, our elders at Valley Bible Church, we see them all the same. And these words are used synonymously. The word shepherd is the word pastor. Pastor. Pastor my people. Oversee them. Be an elder. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion. And here's where we see I think that, that, that Peter is, he's not using any words for love here, but we can certainly see what his motivation is. Not under compulsion, voluntarily according to the will of God, the one who called him, not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. 
everything that he was taught was by Jesus. He was teaching to these men. Jesus commissioned him. He's commissioning them, and they are to commission others. Throughout all of church history, the baton is passed. In verse 4, and when the chief shepherd, and of course he's thinking of John 10 here, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I do. Shepherd my sheep. Do you think he learned that lesson here? You think he inculcated that in his life? Absolutely, he did. He became a shepherd of shepherds. And as he was commanded, he commanded others to do the same. A lesson here. The love of Jesus is the love of his bride. If we love Jesus, we love his people. If we love Jesus, we love his, his bride. Who are his sheep? He said, shepherd my sheep, tend my lambs. Who are they? It's us. It's God's people. It's those he laid down his life for to redeem. It is the bride of Christ. We are his sheep. We cannot be committed to Christ and not committed to his church. And we see that throughout uh, Christendom today, if you will, where people, yeah, I don't really go to church. It's not my thing, but I love Jesus. No, you don't. You can't say you love Jesus if, if you are not committed to his bride. I'm sorry, but that is the, that is the gospel truth. His church is his bride. I have a quote from uh, Bruce Milne, a guy I read this week. He said this, Commitment to Christ involves commitment to the church of Christ. About this passage. Jesus Christ is not a single person in the sense that he comes to us without attachment. He is a married person. He comes to us with a bride whom he loves and for whom he sacrificed himself. Ephesians 5.25 To be in relationship to Christ while ignoring or even despising his bride is no more acceptable than such behavior would be in human contexts when relating with Jesus, uh, to, relating to a married friend. Far less so because the relationship with Jesus has infinitely greater dimensions. Genuine New Testament conversion means not only turning to and accepting Christ, it also means turning to and accepting his bride, the church. Jesus' love for his church remains undiminished even though the church be torn, ill-clad, dirty in places, and generally malnourished and diseased. The church is still his bride, the people for whom he died, and who are therefore the burden of his, his concern. So he speaks his word today to those who will hear it, Feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. It's the same lesson. If you love him, you will take care of his sheep. Be careful about criticizing his church. Because you're criticizing someone's wife. The one flesh concept of husband and wife, because when you get me, when you hired me as a pastor, you got Tara too, because we're a package deal. In the same way with Christ in his church, you get Christ, you get the church too. Be careful about um, making fun of or criticizing his bride. If you do that with, with someone else's bride, you might get a black eye, right? <laughs> so be careful. In the same way that we accept Christ, we become part of all his sheep and we are to accept his sheep as he accepts us. Second lesson. Our love of Jesus should spill over into our love for one another. That's found throughout all of John's gospel. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. By this will all men know that you are my disciples. If we love him in every way, then we are directed to take care of his flock in every way that we can. And saying, I love you, without doing anything about it, just kind of rings hollow, doesn't it? If there are no actions that are tied to our love. If we just say it and sing it, it needs to spill over into the pews and into the hallways and into the classrooms and into the life groups and into our community. 
as we take care of one another and we seek the growth of each other because we are to love him that much and his love is infinite and it should spill over in such a way because he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and by this will all men know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The key qualification for service is loving him found here. It's the key qualification he gives. In fact, it's the only one he gives here. There are others given in the pastoral epistles. But if we get this part right, everything else is going to come together if we truly love him the way we're supposed to. All right, verse 17. Love your Lord gratefully, recognizing that he has reinstated you and we should always be grateful and thankful for what he's done for us. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Here he uses the word philao. Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? The grieving part is because he asked the third time and the repetition is boom, boom, boom. And when he asks the third time, he's grieved because I think this is the moment that it all it, it probably comes together for him. We're around a charcoal fire. There are other people. I denied him three times. He asked me once. He asked me twice. He asked me a third time. Do I hear a rooster crowing in the distance somewhere? It's painful. People that are there. It's public. He's caused to relive it all at this point. He didn't give his life for his Lord. He didn't confess him before the, publicly before those people. His own words were used against him, his own failure. And instead, not, he, he didn't defend Jesus. He denied him. And he remembers that at this very moment. And this third question he was undone, I'm sure. And his answer is this. He said to him, Lord, you know all things. And the word know here is the word for just for general knowledge. God knows everything because he's God. He knows the beginning. He knows the end. But he also says, you know, and the word there is a different word. You know experientially that I love you because we've been together for three years. And yes, I fell, but you know, you know me. You know me. Peter's answer, you know all things and you know me. You know my heart. Jesus had demonstrated divine knowledge to him when they first met. Jesus predicted that he would deny him and he did. Jesus told him two times, fish over there, fish over there. And he, he gathered all these fish. He knows who he's dealing with. But he knows that Jesus did not choose him by mistake. Jesus is not regretting choosing him, nor has he regretted choosing you. His choice of you is not a mistake. He, he, his choice of, G, of Peter is sure, and he knows that he has chosen him to become Peter, the rock, and he will in due time because he's got confidence in whom he chooses. So lesson here at this point, love him with gratitude for your love, for his love of you. Love him with the gratitude that is necessary. Peter knows that, he, that the Lord loves him. You know why he, you love him? Because he first loved you. Would you love him if he did not first love you? What's the answer to that? Somebody tell me. No, you would not. That's why we are to be eternally grateful to him that he demonstrated his love toward us so that we might demonstrate our love toward him by serving him. Be grateful that he, he reinstituted you in his love. Be grateful that he restored you to his love because we love because he first loved us. Second lesson. 
Love Jesus with your entire being, being, with everything that you are, everything that you have. From your heart, Jesus knew Simon, son of John's heart, and he knows your heart. He knows that your heart is genuine, if you really are genuine. Saying we love him and singing the songs are fine, but it must come from a heart of true love for who he is and all he has done. And he knows that. And we are to love him in that way. And Jesus is emphasizing a total love here. Uh, I mentioned that he used two different, different words here for, for love, agape and phileo. He uses two different words for tend and sheep, for lambs and sheep, for no and no. And he, he uses these things in such a way, I believe, to make a point of we must totally love him and totally care for one another. A fully devoted, complete love of Jesus will involve all of our being, our heart, our soul, our might, our affections, our will, and our mind. Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Everything. Everything. This idea of agape versus phileo is, is an interesting study. Um, there are many who make the point that because Jesus said, do you love me, agapo, agape, and Peter said, yes, I phileo you, which is a feeling oriented. He said it to him a second time, do you love me, agape, and Peter said the second time, yes, Lord, I love you, phileo, fond affection, brotherly love. And then Jesus said a third time, do you love me? And he uses the word phileo. And Peter says, yes, you know that I love you, phileo. And the point is made that, that Jesus is calling Peter to a higher love of agape. That love that is, is a love of commitment. It is that love that is sacrificial. A love that cannot change. It is eternal love because it is God's kind of love for us. For God so loved the world, agape. Jesus loved us and gave himself for us. And it is a covenantal love that once it is made, it is not broken and results in actions. On the other side, you have linguistic scholars who say, no, the opposite is true. He's calling Peter to... Affection, because agape can be just the will and choice and cold. And phileo is to be familial and intimate and a love that has affection. And so those who look at those things say, that, well, they cancel out, so they don't, neither one of them mean anything. I have a third way. <laughs> I'm a both-end guy. And I think what he's saying is we love him with everything. Starts with agape, because that's the kind of love that he's, he, he is committed to us. It is covenantal love. It's like chesed in the Old Testament. It, it is the love that cannot be broken, but it must involve our religious affections for him in some sense. I've been married for over 40 years. Tara and I were talking about this the other day. We were reliving this time of year. We always talk about it. This is when we fell in love and when we met and we were dating. And she's beautiful. You know that. And we were young and two, you know, you got a beautiful woman and you're young. Well, you know, it's just, it's, it was amazing. And we got married and we said our wedding vows of were we learned more about love and our wedding vows were are based upon agape love. It was a commitment. I promise to love you. I will love you for the rest of my days. Because that's the kind of love that, that Christ loved me with. He gave himself and I'm supposed to love her in that same way. But I read someone this week who, who made the same point. Wouldn't that be horrible if that was all your love was, was just choice your whole life? And there was no affection? There must be some affection 
in our relationships for one another and for God and the marriage. And I can say, you know, when I look back on falling in love with my wife and, and being head over hills with her and it was in, a, in an incredible time, but I look back on where we are now to verse then, that kind of love, you know what that seems like to me? It seems kind of flimsy. It seems, seems kind of weak. Because now, because of trials and fights and, and children and experiences, our love for each other is deeper and broader and multifaceted, different colors. Back then it was just hormones, you know. (laughs) It's better now. And that's the way our marriages should grow, and that's the way our love for Christ should grow as well. It should be ever deepening and growing in a commitment, but also in our affection for him. I found this in 1 Peter 4, and I wonder if Peter was thinking of this. 1 Peter 4, 8, above all, keep fervent in your agape for one another. Fervent. Because love covers a multitude of sins. I wonder if he's thinking about this moment when his sins were covered by the love of Jesus. And he demonstrated that he loved Jesus. That's the kind of love we are to have for one another fervent love. You know what? We've got it here. Again, last night, the, the love of service that I saw in our congregation, and the, just this morning, the many, many people that are serving. I praise God for Valley Bible Church that you love Jesus and you demonstrate that by serving his bride. Jesus then gives to Peter that third charge, tend my sheep. Tend my sheep. To the extent to which Peter is called to love and serve Jesus is going to be revealed in our next passage. Because Jesus said earlier in the book, there's no greater love than that one lay down his life for his friends. Peter's going to be called to do that. And Peter will. As Christ laid down his life for Peter, one day this man who denied him around a charcoal fire and now around another charcoal fire declares his love, he will give his life for his Savior. So in conclusion, Jesus asked this of all of us, do you love me? We all gulp. It's a little uncomfortable. It is. But we can say yes, because you first loved me. And I hope your answer is yes. And if you have not been reinstated to his love, the answer is he died for you. He loved you and died for you, and you respond by repentance and faith, trusting him for the forgiveness of sins. But it also is demonstrated our love is demonstrated in action um, you can imagine a scene maybe many of you have gone through this a husband and wife have a, have a disagreement it's heated they say some things they shouldn't have said they had a deep and sharp disagreement but after a while after all said and done they're talking things seem to be better and the wife says do you love me and what does the husband say Honey, you know I love you. And she says, please show it, right? And that's what Jesus says to us. If you love me, show me. By serving each other, by taking care of each other, by helping each other to grow, that's what we do. And that's what we do. So our theme this morning is reinstate us In thy love, if you have failed, this is a moment. By taking the bread and the cup, he will reinstate you. He will not cast you away. He's not going to discard you. If you humbly come to him with faith, declaring your love because he first loved you, he will restore you. How much did he love you? He came and lived in a human body. He lived a sinless life, and he was beaten and crucified 
and he shed his blood to demonstrate his love for you. If you have not understood that, but at this moment you do, I invite you to this table of love. God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Declare your faith in him this morning through communion. And Christian, if the words I love you stick in your throat this morning, take a moment, confess your failure, and say to him anew, I love you, Lord. Let's take a moment of silence. Father, we know that we cannot say we love you until sin is first addressed. And we know that this is painful because it causes us to recognize our failure and our sin. But we know that through forgiveness, this is the means by which we are reinstated in your love because Christ loved us and took our place. Thank you that forgiveness is offered here at the table in this place with your people because you do love us. And we thank you for sending your son. And reminding us at this Christmas time what real love is. Not the flimsy, fake love of the world, but the love of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. Stand, please.